So welcome to the For Dog's Sake podcast. My name is Louise Campbell-Pearson. I am the founder of Canine Friends. And I'm Jay Gurdon. I run Good Guardianship and I'm the founder of Blue Mole Minion. Today, as you're fully aware, this is our first episode in the podcast. Um, and what we're going to talk to you about today is we're just going to talk you through a little bit about what the episodes we have coming up in this series. We're going to tell you a little bit about ourselves, do a bit of myth busting and just anything else that comes up, really. Interesting story, really, of how the podcast came about. A very throwaway comment one day of let's start a podcast and here we are. <laughs> Yeah, I, I, I messaged Jay. So Jay and I have known each other. We are both Canine Principles alumni. Canine Principles is a wonderful canine professional educational platform. And I've done multiple of their courses, a multitude of their courses. Jay is one of their tutors. She has worked with them for some time now. And we sort of connected because we ended up living quite locally together. And we sort of ended up connecting separately and meeting up and going on dog walks, things like that. And... Jay actually helped me in peer reviewing my online puppy course just because I wanted to get someone to check sense check me because that's good sense in this industry and we developed a friendship from that and one day I said do you know what we should do because by the way we spent hours and hours on the phone talking about dog stuff or voice noting each other and we said you know what we should start a podcast so I don't know what that says about our egos but here we are (laughs) Um, and we thought well for dog's sake kind of aligns with what we want it is our kind of ethos is that dogs come first and foremost and we need to be putting them first and foremost ethically and you know we kind of put them into our world and make them a part of our lives so let's we owe it to them to kind of they don't get a choice if they come home with us right so we owe it to them to give them the best life possible and we're hoping in this podcast and amongst the upcoming episodes that we have that we will help you owners or trainers empathize with us understand what we're talking about find it helpful find it um cathartic if you're a trainer and hearing some of our stories and 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 just hopefully it's something that you you know you find a really good resource for you what what we really want to come out of this is information that is accessible for you know the the dog there's so much information out there and it's really hard to pick out the good bits from the bad if you if you're not an expert so what what we really want to do is to help people towards the the right information that is going to help them and their dogs live together as happily as possible yeah and hopefully we don't bore you to death in the process so <laughs> let's we'll try to stay off our side yeah boxes. we'll try we'll try i can't promise though we have pre-recorded some before recording this welcome episode and uh it does happen a couple of times <laughs> but only breathe um however um amongst the episodes we've got coming up we've got lots and lots more to come as well but we've got some really good topics for you we've got separation anxiety with the separation anxiety specialist we've got puppy blues which we all know all too well we've got the pain and relationship with behavior breed traits which we've got a fantastic guest on as well why having a dog can be hard top tips for training eg recall reactivity which is one of jay's specialist areas myth busting tips top tips we've got we've got so much coming in the episodes and there should be something for everyone and hopefully you'll find something that helps you on your training or behavioral journey and we've got some absolutely fantastic guests who've come and recorded episodes with us who they are just so knowledgeable and so generous with their time that are really really looking forward to to 
those episodes coming out so everyone can hear what, what they've been talking about. Yeah, there's also family dog mediation, which is another one we hadn't mentioned. That's a really, really interesting topic um, and one that we, we've got a fantastic guest already kind of recorded that episode for us, which you'll hear in the coming weeks. And basically today we thought we'd just introduce ourselves a little bit so you know who you're going to be listening to and uh, why maybe you want to listen to us and why maybe you don't. I don't know. <laughs> um, but yeah, Jay, I'll let you kind of introduce yourself and how you kind of got into the world of dog training and behaviour and kind of what makes you tick in the dog training behaviour world and kind of what made you want to be a part of this podcast. Yeah, I actually originally come from the farming world. And my first experience with dogs, I had sort of like the childhood dog, although even he was a, a Collie Cross Shelty, so he was like two farming breeds crossed together. And then as a teenager, I started, well, actually, I started going out with a shepherd who had a, a working sheepdog, and he's still around, actually. He, he has sort of stuck around. And ever since then, for more years than I want to think about, I've been around Border Collies for my sins. I love them. I love the collie brain. So I originally started out... I do love working in them, I have to say. They are amazing brains, to work with. The way their brains work, it's just I know. superb. Watching them solve puzzles, I could just sit and watch that for hours. I have to be honest, I don't think I have the energy for having one, but I absolutely admire them. I think they're amazing. Yeah, Actually, I was saying to someone earlier today that mine has three settings. He is asking for attention causing chaos or asleep yep those are the three settings those are what you've got they sound like my three settings to be honest (laughs) (laughs) mine too although i spend more time sleeping than he does i I started off uh training working sheepdogs to varying levels of success you know we were on a a working farm so it was none of this trials whistling lark for a start i can't whistle yeah i've never been able to do that and i never will i'd love to be able to (laughs) cannot do any of the variations i can just sort of do a loud whistle and that's it but i can't do any of that and i cannot use a shepherd's whistle oh yeah there's this metal thing weird disky thing yeah that- the last time i tried i nearly swallowed it <laughs> so i decided that was a bad idea um but yeah so i, I trained a few for working uh, we bred a couple of litters and we've we've been off the farm for oh 15 years now uh but the collies have sort of still come along and it's mostly because of the dog that I have now that that brought me to what I'm doing because he is he is a reactive dog he's one of these sensitive complex dogs and I had never heard of the term I'd never met a dog like him before um, when he started struggling as a puppy and that's when I started setting out to learn and basically I've done very little else for the last few years I'm sort of almost a full-time student with a, a bit of tutoring and writing stuff around the sides. And because of his needs, I've had to learn so much about how dogs think, how training works, how to modify behaviour, how to build their confidence. You know, all of these things I've had to learn to help support him. And then I started getting into writing and I wrote a particular blog that went a bit nuts that was all about like the human emotional side of living with one of these dogs. And that's when people started contacting me, asking for help and advice. 
So again, I went back to learning so I could help these people. And this is what I do now. I, it's funny how I love hearing people's stories of how they get into this industry because it's all completely different. Um, and everyone has their own little unique story and everyone has their own reasons for wanting to do it as well. And, and I think that when you hear people's reasons and their experiences to why they've come into it, it often makes sense as to why maybe they specialise in a certain area or they have a particular interest in a certain thing or they're, they're particularly good at a certain thing and Jay is is actually she's a qualified um, family dog mediator um, she's got various different levels of qualifications in both training and behaviour and she also tutors those Jay's very modest and won't speak too much about her qualifications but honestly she is as knowledgeable as they come she is also a reactivity specialist and has written several books yeah yeah there's two books that i've written on on reactivity um the first one is sort of a little short one designed for the people who've just found out that their dog is starting to struggle which is fight or fright a reactive dog guardian's handbook and then as i learned more i wrote sort of talk about it sometimes as the book that i wish i'd written to start with because it's a lot more in-depth and a lot more filled with the science. But I'm actually quite glad that there's the two separate ones, because Understanding Reactive Dogs, the second book, is potentially a bit overwhelming for the person who just wants to know why their dog's barking at the end of the lead. Whereas the first one, it, it really... It's kind of like a virtual hand-holding, Yeah, if you get what I mean. It, it's really there to sort of support and say, yeah... It's a support. I get you, I hear you, this is hard, this is, this is normal for a reactive dog you're not alone that is the main message of it because i i remember all too well being that person standing in the middle of a path holding that dog's lead with everyone looking at me and feeling like the most useless person ever so i you know i just i don't want people to have to feel like that it's a horrible feeling when you with anything to be honest whether it's animals humans when you feel helpless as well when you don't know how to help them and you can see that they're suffering or struggling or whatever it is but you it is out of your control to help so what a lovely thing to go and do and be able to then help not only your dog yourself but now other people as a result which is great it's it's fantastic i absolutely love what i do um i mean he has his own fan club you know <laughs> he has his own little followers um but through him yeah i have been able to help a lot of people and their dogs to actually i'm chairman of the fan club <laughs> yeah he's yeah you'd give him back honestly you would yeah. bless him he's gorgeous but as mad as a box of frogs he's afraid of everything bless him he just yeah if it exists he's afraid of it he's afraid of sheep we're getting him better with the livestock he is okay with cattle now from about 20 feet away and he's okay with most sheep at the other side of the fence unless they're newborn lambs newborn lambs are out to get him ah uh, yes they're plotting world domination yes yeah ah uh, yes along with all you know other animals <laughs> Cats, cats especially. He hates oh. cats. Yeah, but I, I think that on me. I think, yeah, I think cats are planning it on me. <laughs> I'm like, you're plotting my death, aren't you? It's what's happening. <laughs> you want to start living in my house and pretending to be me. <laughs> yeah, I'm definitely a dog person, not a cat person. I mean, I'm not against cats at all. I would love to learn more about um, feline behaviour, actually, over, over in the coming years. But I've got to learn as much as I, I can at the moment about canines. But... Um, I actually quite like cats, but I am really allergic. So it's a bit of a... I could only ever hope help people with that remotely. Otherwise, I'd be going and armed with an EpiPen. 
that that's really not helpful is it being allergic no i mean i'm not that bad i thankfully don't need an EpiPen, but it would mean i would probably be so dosed up on antihistamines i'd be almost drunk <laughs> so i don't know how much help that would be to someone but anyway we're getting off topic this is this is what we do we end up talking on tangents about various different things but hopefully it means we're not boring <laughs> and so you know reactivity is very much very much my my sort of thing it's what i spend a lot of my time doing whereas of course louise louise is very very interested in separation anxiety yeah it's you know what i have a real love hate thing with it i went from hating it and i mean like hating it and that was through personal experience not as a not as a professional to absolutely loving it and loving working with clients on it so how i got into this industry is sort of a fairly commonish way that people come into it i started out dog walking you know there are there aren't there are no set ways in, into this industry but that was this is a quite common one when you speak to people that they started out dog walking and learning from then there on because you get such hands-on experience with them and you can literally see canine behavior you know every single day when you're out walking them and then in, interacting with other dogs you've only got to watch dogs as they play or react to other external stimuluses as you see them to just learn about canine body language as you're there so I started off at that and then I decided for the first six months I was like I love this I'm never going to do anything else six months in I was like I want to know more and then I started learning about training and I did some stuff with canine principles and a few other places where you can learn and I was like, right, I love training. I'm never going to do anything else. I'm not interested in behavior. I don't need to know what's going on. I just I just like to teach dog stuff. And then about six months in, I was like, I want to know why. <laughs> I couldn't help myself. I, I was adamant. I was never going to go into behavior. It all seemed too hard. It all seemed too daunting because there is so much you have to know. And I just couldn't, like, curiosity got the better of me. And I'm so grateful it did because I, I absolutely love the path it's taken me down. So I ended up doing much more, much higher level qualifications. I'm currently doing my level six. So a level six is the equivalent of the last year of a university degree. So after that, I will be degree level qualified in um, applied um, canine behavior. So I, yeah, I've been working up towards that. And in that process, along came my nine month old puppy, Luna and I got her from eight weeks old she's a show cocker spaniel and it became really evident to me early on that she had separation anxiety and I didn't do anything wrong I did all the right things I had all the tools to do everything right she just couldn't cope but what I I I suppose in many ways I didn't have the tools because I didn't have the tools to deal with separation anxiety not to the extent I do now and a lot of what you get taught in these qualifications is fantastic but it's very you you have to cover so much everything is separation anxiety in particular is quite generalized of what you learn it at you have to do a specialist course to really know in depth because those specialist courses are six months long you know, you can't factor that into, you know, an 18 month, two year long qualification when you've got to learn about all the other things, which is why we do continued professional development in this career to learn more about each specialized area, aggression, uh, reactivity, separation, anxiety, whatever it is, and compulsive behaviors. So I was like, oh my gosh, I know nothing. What am I doing? How can I, how can I be charging people to help them when I can't even help myself? And after a couple of weeks of crying down the phone to Jay, I decided to pull my socks up and study and learn. 
and I went and found uh, the sub-threshold method by Julie Naismith and I started um, learning all about that, read her book, started using her methods on my own dog, Luna, and then I joined her SA Pro qualification, which I'm literally on, I have done two of the three exams, now I'm literally on my last bit um, and hopefully I'll pass and then I'll be qualified soon and I'm already helping a variety of separation anxiety clients and I absolutely love it and I only got there through learning and going I I actually don't know what I'm doing here and that's okay and I need to speak to someone who does so that I know better and now it's one of my favorite things to work with because you can see how much you're helping people when you're stuck in your home and you feel like an SA prisoner and you can't even go to the shops to get you know to get milk and it can really feel really isolating and I absolutely like you say I love my job I absolutely love it I I never want to do anything else and prior to doing dog walking, I worked in finance. I never lasted really more than a year in anything because I just didn't didn't have the passion for it. And I've been doing this for over four years now and I absolutely love it. And that's where the passion came to start this podcast because we love talking about all things dogs. Yeah, like Louise said earlier, we have spent so much time talking to each other on the phone or on voice notes. And it just seems we talk about all this stuff. So why not find a way to get that information and that knowledge? You know, between the two of us, there is a lot of years and a lot of qualifications taken. It's really interesting, actually, because you're describing how you got into specialising in separation anxiety. How many of the dog people who've, who've come into the training behaviour world do you know who have come in because of issues with a particular dog or have specialized in an area because of particular problems with their dog i could think so many people i know that have come in that way me included yeah i know i love that because you have a specific you have an understand a greater understanding of a topic that you can never understand unless you've experienced it and it for things like reactivity and separation anxiety it's not to say that you do not understand absolutely everything that you can possibly know at this moment in those topics um, if you haven't had a dog with those things but if you haven't experienced it you don't have that same level of empathy that you can with an owner because you haven't experienced what they're going through and it does give you just that extra level of going I get it I understand I hear you and I think that really does help make you that little bit more palatable I guess or I don't know I'm not I'm not putting down anyone who hasn't had got a dog with those issues but I do think it gives you an insight that you can't possibly have if you haven't had experienced day in day out the relentlessness is a dog with behavioral issues yeah it's that level of empathy because the thing is although we might describe ourselves as dog trainers dog coaches dog behaviorists it's never just the dog that we're working with. We're working with the people as well. And that you know, that's a whole extra level of emotions and reactions and thoughts about things that we also have to work with. And that empathy, that can be such a valuable thing because quite often having a dog with problems it's embarrassing especially like in my case with reactivity where you've got that dog who's barking and lunging on the end of the lead it is humiliating being that person standing there with other people looking down their nose at you and your badly behaved dog who's just scared but you know yeah we'll come to that in the episodes on reactivity so i think that level of empathy is really really important to be able to help the people because yeah it's 50 percent of the partnership that you're working with is the human end of the lead so we really need to be able to relate to both oh yeah it's funny you say that about you know um it being 
the humans that we work with. So I literally spent this morning updating my website um, to say, to refer to it as one-to-one coaching, because I think that that changes the dialogue of it a little bit. And I think that the more people understand in our role as dog trainers, behaviorists, behavior consultants, whatever you like to call yourself, you know, the more people understand that it is our job for to make you not need us through coaching and educating you on the specifics of your dog so that you can manage them to the best of your ability rather than come in and fix my dog and do it for me and then leave because if you understand anything when about even training not just behavior training or behavior it takes consistency and unless you've got a bottomless pit of money to have someone come out five days a week for the rest of your life you need to be learning how to do it and even if you do have a bottomless pit of money, how fun's that for you? You know, you're not having that bond with your dog. Someone else is and someone's doing it all for you. So, you know, it is important that people do start to understand that we don't come in and wave a magic wand in one hour session and change your dog. Because, you know, if you were an anxious person and someone came in and went, well, don't be anxious, you're not going to stop being anxious. You're going to have to spend time working on that anxiety and, and working on the underlying fears and what it, what is the underlying cause of that. Yeah, one of the things that I will often see that to me kind of raises a bit of a red flag is those adverts where they promise to fix your dog in like one session or three sessions yeah. because... Like Louise said, it would be lovely if we could come in and wave a magic wand and have it all be better, but it just doesn't work like that. Anyone who promises that they can fix your dog in one session, they're not actually doing what the dog needs to feel better. I mean, I tend to say that I don't fix a dog anyway. We've got episodes coming up in the future on sort of language choices and why the words that we use matter. But yeah, if someone says they are going to fix your dog and they promise to do it in a certain amount of time or a certain number of sessions, they are not the professional you want to be working with because the people who are properly educated and using the kind and ethical sort of methods that both Louise and I are very much pro know that it takes as long as it takes. You you can't rush things. You have to work with the dog, with the human, with whatever is going on in their environment, why they feel the need to do what they're doing, whatever the behaviour is that's potentially causing a problem. You need to get to the root of all of that before we can start seeing what it is that we actually need to do to let everyone live together happily. Yeah, exactly. It's about working with you, you know, and, and being transparent and not sort of pulling the wall over your eyes and pretending that there's all these quick fixes that probably are likely not ethical and are putting the dog's welfare um, second to that. Um, You know, it is about working with your dogs. And, you know, even if that's not working with a professional, you know, if you want to better understand your dog, do an online course on body language so that you can learn and, and a bit more about your dog and how they might be trying to communicate with you. You know, buy some books, read up on it, start to learn yourself. You know, there are ways of doing it where you can start to understand it better. But if you're if you are really stuck for help and you really aren't sure what way to go reaching out to a professional really can help and i honestly think that even the most experienced dog owners um or guardians in in the world can still benefit from 
seeing a professional whether that's when they first get their puppy to make sure they're on the right track when that's whether they have a rescue when they first come home to make make sure on they're on the right track when their puppy gets to an adolescent and to, to make sure they're on the right track it's far better to get someone in to help you to check you on the right path and tweak what you're doing and and make sure that you and your dog are working together to the best of your abilities versus waiting 18 months and you've got all these problems that you then need help with which potentially were not avoidable I don't like that word because that implies you would you intended to 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 kind of cause the problem now that's there but it is something that that could have been um helped in the process so that the dog didn't feel as bad as they do now yeah and you you good professionals are going to be happy to explain things to you in ways that you understand because a lot of these people who promise the quick fixes they take or some of them at least seem to take great delight in blinding people with science they use all the jargon all the big words to you know sort of make you think well they're an expert because they know all this stuff so you know I've I've just got to do what they say but your good professionals who are working in the right way will always be happy to explain and make sure that you understand what is going on every step of the way so that you know, you know what is happening, what the professional is doing with your dog, what you are doing with your dog, and to ensure that you know that you're not doing anything that could be that could damage your relationship because that is the thing that we really want to protect while we're we're helping. We really want the canine human relationship to be as strong as possible because once the problem has been sorted out or you're confident you're on the right track and we go away that's your family living together so you know we want to make sure that you're living together as happily as possible yeah and and hopefully fingers crossed in some of the episodes we've got coming up you're you're you might learn something there might be something you think oh i didn't i didn't realize that this issue could be helped or you know it makes you feel a bit more better about something you know even if like we've got an episode on puppy blues right um even if you're just like i need to listen to something to be cathartic because christ this is harder than i thought we've got an episode on why dog why having a dog can be really really hard um you know there's 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 everything from that to like your simple top tips for different things such as recall and lucid walking and and then the more in-depth topics such as reactivity and behavior modification type stuff as well so hopefully we've got something to kind of kind of cover everything and really 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 hope that you you find this enjoyable however if you have got any topics at all that you would like to hear us talk about on the podcast over the upcoming series you can contact either of us on our social media pl- platforms, which is I'm on Canine Friends, uh, which is at Canine Friends UK on both Instagram, Facebook, and TikTok. Yeah, I am on at Good Guardianship on Instagram uh, and at Dog Guardians Hub on Facebook, or you can find me on Facebook, Instagram, or Twitter at Blue Mile Minion. Basically, there's a ton of ways you can get in touch with us these days. <laughs> honestly i have so many social media pages and things to run now it is a joke (laughs) i just want to like upload to all please just press one button 
I don't know what one button for yeah I know yeah I was doing some posting yesterday and I thought right well I've posted on that page that page and that page oh I haven't done that group or that group and oh I haven't done Twitter honestly it is it's not simple these days is it I mean Christ on a non-dog related topic but just running a business or having any brand you've got to have everything TikTok Instagram Facebook Twitter website email WhatsApp I mean, it just it just goes on. Honestly, your head just explodes, and you're thinking, "Christ!" And I've and I've got to actually do the job as well as like actually run all these different things and get them sorted and do it right and do it proper. Yeah, the first half hour of my day every day is spent sitting at the computer, going, "What? Where? How? <laughs> what do I? What do I do? Where? Yeah. I mean, in what order? Someone, please help me." Because <laughs> I've got like obviously there's all the social media stuff. Then I've got. I have assessments to mark. I'm writing courses for my own stuff. And then I've got two books I'm in the middle of writing and dealing with any inquiries on any dog behaviour or reactivity stuff. And, yeah, then it's time to turn the computer off and go and curl up on the sofa. <laughs> Something's just popped into my head, actually, while you... Because oh, I was thinking, oh, talking about being self-employed and running your own business and things. If you are wanting or considering a career as a dog trainer or a behaviorist or you would like to learn how to become one of those things then get in touch with either of us we can point you into the direction of some really really great um resources some great uh, places that you can do various different qualifications with you know i'm always happy to have do some mentoring and shadowing and things like that i've only learned what i know now through obviously qualifications and experience, but through having a really, really great network of people to kind of reach out to and who have helped me. And, you know, we're always both happy to pass that on um, if it's something people want to know about. Yeah, there are so many great people out there who are happy to help, you know, us us included. So, yeah, always happy to talk to anybody about, you know, whether they want to learn something just to help them and their dogs or, you know, whether they actually, like you say, want to to come into the, the training and behaviour world because we need more good trainers and behaviourists. There are plenty of good ones around, but we always need more. Yeah, if, if you're wanting to get into the industry and you want us to do a podcast episode on it, let us know. Contact us on one of our social media channels um, and we'll make sure to get that included. And to finish off the episode today, we have each picked a myth that we want to bust. There are so many myths that surround dogs and dog training and behaviour. And so this is something that will come up periodically from time to time. We'll do these myth-busting episodes. We've each picked one today for, for our first episode. And the one I have picked surrounds the subject of tug and playing tug with your dog. And you'll see some places tell you not to play tug because it will make your dog aggressive. Now, I have always played tug with my dogs and I even let them win. Ooh, which you know naughty. there are some people oh yeah not, shock horror not. you let your dog I, had an, I let an eight week old puppy win a tug oh how once. dare you it's going to take know, over the world now take over the world <laughs> it's going to take over the world domination world domination <laughs> yes, yes. Uh, I've always played tug with my dogs because they love it it's a really healthy outlet for them um, yeah. it's a really and it's good bonding it's good like dogs need to play yeah and it's interactive play and one of the best things that there is for getting that really good canine human bond that that we want with our dogs is interactive play i I think some of it probably comes from there are people who worry about the fact that a lot of dogs will growl while playing tug yeah play growls are totally normal yeah 
Yeah. If they're growling when they're playing, you, you, you look at the rest of their body language, which we'll go into in a lot more detail later on. But if the rest of their body, you can really easily tell because they're all nice and relaxed. There's relaxed wagging going on. You can see when they're happy. And yeah, t- long story short, tugging does not make your dog aggressive. It does not make your dog think anything other than they're having a fantastic time playing with their person. That That's it. I mean, it's a bit like... If you throw a ball and play fetch with your dog and you go fetch every time you throw a ball, I don't know, this is an example. It doesn't mean that every single item that ever lands on the floor, they're going to automatically run after it. It's the same with tug. Just because they're tugging against something, it doesn't mean every single item that ever lands near them, they're going to grab hold of and try and tug off you. It's just, you know, they are good at forming connections, dogs, and they know the context. They understand it. I think some people do struggle maybe when their dogs are puppies or going to into adolescent phase because, I mean, ad- adolescent dogs are... They're not easy, are they, adolescent dogs? Oh, no. But they will sometimes, like, grab a trouser leg and yeah. try to sort of play tug with that. And I think that might be where some of it comes from. But it, yeah. it's really, really simple. You know, every time they grab something you don't want them to grab, you redirect them onto something appropriate. And then yeah. you have a really good game with the tug. Louise, I know, has a discount code for Tug Enough, which is a fantastic brand of tug toys. They are absolutely, they've got such a huge range. The only reason I haven't got any is I can never choose. I want yeah. all of them. <laughs> I've got, I've got a ridiculous lot. amount now. Honestly, I take them sometimes to client consults and I put them all in my bag. Bag and it honestly turns into like a Mary Poppins bag because I just keep like getting them out and then I get like Christ did you bring a TARDIS with you and I'm like yes yes actually it, the entire of Tug Enough shop is in my bag um, but yeah so no, that would be me in bliss I mean you know it's, oh the amount of dog toys I buy oh yeah oh, oh and ridiculous. books dog books you dog, yes, you yes. and books yes me me and books I. I haven't I went, actually bought any this month. Oh, good. I have not you're bought on any a book ban, this though. Month. You are on a book ban because you're meant to be doing yes. other things. I'm supposed to be writing books <laughs> yes, rather than that's, buying That's what books. I mean. She's on a book ban. But, um, yeah, no. So the, the code, by the way, for, for Tug Enough is canine-friends and you get 10% off. Um, and that's Tug enough um if you put it into google it will come up um the main thing to look for when you're playing tug is obviously as jay mentioned you there is this confusion over resource guarding growl versus a play growl and they are very very different if you are concerned at all that your dog or puppy is exhibiting resource guarding and it is not a playground you just got to reach out to professional they'll soon come or you can send them a video to review and they'll soon let you know but the main things to watch out for are there is their body language loose what happens when you stop what happens when you let go if you let go of the tug toy do they kind of look at you and go oh what's happened i was having fun you know they do that don't they they go and they're kind of having fun and then you let go and they're like oh Whereas if that dog is genuinely trying to get it off you because it's resource guarding and it is and it is finding the experience threatening, they will almost certainly either escalate that in the form of a more obvious stiff growl or flight and run off with the object as soon as you let go and then guard it. It's a very different thing, but it's very, very, very rare that happens. But that is not in relation to the tug itself. That's an underlying issue around resource guarding, which is a completely different issue entirely. Yeah, Finn, if my dog, if I let go, he will try to put it back in my hand. And if I ignore him, he'll throw it at me. (laughs) 
because he's he's so opinionated my dog honestly if i try and ignore him he's actually he's gone off to sleep on the sofa now because in when we've been trying to record episodes in the past or if i do things on zoom every now and again louise has seen a dog toy flying towards me <laughs> because he just stands there and lobs them at me until i pay him attention <laughs> it is funny he is funny but yeah so tug does not make your dog aggressive full stop end of myth busted (laughs) yep and it is one of the best things you can do with your dog because it is so much fun for both of you yeah it's a really good outlet for them you know um it's a necessary thing in my mind i think it should be a part of every dog's life if they enjoy it of course some dogs are just like what do I want to do with that? I don't know. <laughs> but you can encourage them often with the right toy um, if it is kind of enriching enough for them. But the other myth busting I want to talk about today or my choice was it doesn't really matter where your dog sleeps. One of the first things I often get when I go to a consult is, oh, sorry, oh, my dog does sleep on the bed though. I know that's bad. And I go, it's not, it's not bad wherever it's up to you where your dog sleeps it doesn't it really doesn't matter you're not going to be creating any behavioral problems by allowing your dog to sleep where you and them are both comfortable of course there are the benefits that come with crate training and it's not to say that crate training isn't a great thing i'm very pro it for puppies that are comfortable and get acclimatized appropriately to crate training um it's a it's great for you know if your dog ever needs to go to the vets they're used to confined space if they end up going for a dog walker if you need to stay at someone else's house whereby they they can't be sleep up in the bedroom it's great if you're helping a dog with a puppy with toilet training but it is not the be all and end all and it is totally okay if your dog doesn't sleep or puppy doesn't sleep in a crate it's absolutely fine for them to come on the sofa it is absolutely fine for them to come on the bed it's not going to create separation anxiety which i will get into in our in another episode into more detail because that covers a secure attachment theory and all those things but it doesn't matter it is completely personal preference and anyone who tells you otherwise probably shouldn't listen to them <laughs> yeah i mean finn sleeps on the bed he is crate trained he was crate trained as a puppy um and i think he was about eight months old when he told me very loudly one night at two o'clock in the morning that he'd quite like the, the crate door open please so i opened the crate door he got out he hopped up on the bed settled himself down and that was that and that's where he slept ever since but it is entirely personal preference yeah if you don't want a dog on the bed with you and i must admit there are times when i can understand that i have a very long head border collie and i'm not entirely sure sometimes if i'm sleeping under more duvet or dog fluff it's (laughs) it's really hard to tell you have to hoover the mattress (laughs) every day oh my gosh yeah Yeah. no i mean you know i totally get both sides of it in terms of like hygiene and things like that i personally my other half sam so funny he went when we get a dog we're not having her sleep on the bed i said okay no problem at all of course we'll just have her wherever you know we need would like for her to sleep and that she's comfortable (laughs) it took about i don't know how many weeks it was but it was a matter of weeks before he asked if we could let her sleep on the bed just for one night and i said well if she's sleeping on the bed for just one night then she's staying on the bed because it's not fair because it's sending mixed messages and he was like um i think i went out with some girlfriends one night and i came back and she was on the bed and there she stayed ever since (laughs) and he was adamant she was never going to be on the bed and i was like yeah okay of course no problem he was the one that wanted it more than one than i did because he wanted to have cuddles every night (laughs) 
she sleeps like on my pillow and I sleep below the pillow but you know I I, I wake up every morning by turning over and I've got a face full of fluff like you know the fluff behind their ears on the back of their necks which is lovely and soft but not up your nose first thing in the morning because you've stolen the pillow (laughs) it's not the one not when it's really hot in the summer either but to be fair when it is really hot she doesn't sleep on the in the bed anyway and to be honest she's nine months old now she actually likes to sleep in her own suite on the floor because it's because it's cool um so actually she doesn't sleep in the bed that much anymore but she has the option to if she wants to um oh, no, the, the, the hotter it gets the closer finn wants to sleep when right. it's like 25 he degrees overnight dog. and he, he's <laughs> just he's glued to my side literally after a while yeah <laughs> yeah i mean he's just weird isn't he let's face it he yeah. is just I don't know what they did when they created him, but he is a character. They broke the mould. Thank goodness. <laughs> <laughs> I love him to bits, but yeah, he is a nutter. Well, there were a few little myth-busting stages, just a few little light-hearted things, nothing too sciencey, nothing too involved, but uh, we, I really, really hope, well, we both really hope that you found our first little welcome episode interesting. As I say, there's so much more to come, um, so keep an eye out on our social media to see what episodes are going to be launched when, and we really, really hope you enjoy the For Dog's Sake podcast. Yeah, thank you so much for listening, and we hope to catch you again. See you soon. See you soon.